Hello, and welcome back to Texas Tech Health Check from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. Child abuse and neglect are serious public health problems and adverse childhood experiences, which can have long-term impacts on health, opportunity, and well-being. Children with disabilities may be at higher risk for abuse or neglect than children without disabilities. Texas Tech physicians, pediatrician, Dr. Patty Patterson is our guest for this episode. Dr. Patterson tells us what makes children with special needs especially vulnerable to abuse and what we can do to help keep these children safe. Dr. Patterson, welcome back to our podcast. I'm glad to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your expertise, and what you do here at the Health Sciences Center? Yeah, I'm a professor of pediatrics. Um, but for the last 15 years, I've been the only child abuse pediatrician in West Texas and eastern New Mexico. So my full-time job is uh, dealing with children who have been victims of abuse and neglect. Well, we're glad to have you back on the podcast. Well, thanks. I recently read a story about child abuse numbers being down in Lubbock. But however, it feels like I can't go a day without reading something in the news about child abuse. And there's currently a case in North Texas about a boy with special needs who's been missing for some time now. And it made me wonder, is this is child abuse or neglect or filicide, is this seen more among children with disabilities and special needs? And is the abuse mostly violent, sexual, or mental? Children with disabilities are at greater risk. Their uh, individual risk is about three, three times greater than children without those disabilities. It varies a lot. The children who are the most affected actually have a lower risk. Those who are, uh, have the most severe disabilities and are least mobile, they, they have, the, have a lower risk. But children with some differences, but not severe, actually have a higher risk. There's different thoughts about why that is, and it may be that parents have a may have a higher expectation of what that child is able to do than what they really are capable of. So part of that may be just being sure that the parents understand exactly what the child is capable of, and they may interpret the child's inability to do something as stubbornness or being they're being belligerent or something when in fact they just can't do it. What are the long-term effects of abuse or neglect among children with disabilities or special needs? Well, actually you get you get into a cycle here because children for example who have abusive head trauma who are victims of abusive head trauma most of those will have disabilities of some sort. They can have seizure disorders. They can have cerebral palsy. They can be blind, all sorts of things. So those disabilities, again, will make them at higher risk, depending on if they're in the same environment. Also, substance abuse is a risk factor for children being abused in their homes. At the same time, say a mom has alcohol addiction then she may have a child with fetal alcohol syndrome, which could lead to intellectual disabilities. And then, so you've just got that whole cycle going with 
decreased ability to do things, and at the same time, a parent's decreased ability to cope with the extra needs of that child. Some parents or guardians, they might justify their behavior by saying that they're thinking of their child's best interest. And perhaps in like medieval times, the argument might have had some weight, but it doesn't make sense now. What kinds of programs are available for children with special needs or disabilities? People tend to parent the way they were parented. So if they were parented in a very in a way with lots of physical discipline and even very harsh physical discipline, they will see that as normal. So they may do the same thing with their kids in the same way. If a person was not parented, they're just really not going to have any idea without some intervention or somebody helping to know how to parent their own kids. There's lots of programs, particularly even here in Lubbock, but all over with the parenting programs, And lots of churches offer those, the Parenting Cottage, different places. And those can be a real help for parents to understand better ways to modify a child's behavior rather than, you know, beating them. On the other hand, I've seen profiles of children in need of foster care, and some of them are children with special needs. How can someone prepare themselves to take on that kind of responsibility? Right. And we do have foster care, foster homes for medically needy children. And that can be anything from, you know, maybe mild extra needs. You know, a child needs asthma medications or seizure medications or whatever, which pretty much anybody could learn how to do that that's interested in foster care or all the way up to some of our children even need home ventilators or feeding tubes and so forth. And that takes an an extra measure of training to be able to do that. So either, you know, any of our hospitals can help with that. CPS can help with that. The entities that are responsible for foster care now can help train people for those kinds of things. A child with serious medical needs is probably going to have home health. They may have a nurse 24 hours a day. So there's a lot of different things from the medical side that can help a family that's interested in trying to take care of one of these kids for us. So how can parents and caregivers keep their child safe if the child might not have the vocabulary or strength to to protect themselves? Well, a lot of a lot of it is being sure that your child is in a safe place. And most of the people that I work with, they will invite other kids into their home. They don't let their children spend the night somewhere else, for example, just because of what we see and what we hear. Being aware of what's going on and teaching children from a very young age what is safe touch and what is not safe touch, what makes them feel uncomfortable. And just and be sure just to listen to your child. So that and believe them. If they tell you something's going on that's concerning to them, believe what they're saying. What do you recommend uh, parents and caregivers do if they find themselves feeling frustrated or angry so that they don't take it out on their children? It's always okay to take a break. And people who are isolated have more difficulty having community groups, a church group, a friend, uh, grandparents are great for somebody to come come over. It's like, I need some help. I need a break. And it's not 
it's not a problem to say that and to, to be able to admit that. One of the triggers for abuse in infants is the constant crying. It's okay. Check. Be sure the child is okay. There's nothing sticking them. They don't need a diaper. And just take a break. They're, put them in a safe place in their crib and let them cry a few minutes. It's okay. Take a break. Take care of yourself. I used to take a shower when my son wouldn't stop mm-hmm. crying. It's like, I can't stand this. <laughs> take a shower and drown out the noise. Is there anything that the rest of us can do to help keep children safe? I would say that one of the best ways of keeping children safe is just to be aware of what's going on and to be that person who someone knows that they can call, that you're frustrated. It's okay. I'll come over. Why don't you go to the park for a little bit? Or just being aware and being sure that the kids are in safe places. And it's hard to know because we've all heard stories of of people that were involved in continuous sexual abuse of a child or child porn and other things that were going, wow, yeah, I never would have thought that of that person. So just just be aware, be sure that your kids know that it's safe to tell you that uh, in our family, we have no secrets. So if somebody tells you to keep a secret, we don't do that. Go ahead and tell. Uh, tell me what's going on. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Yeah, it's child abuse is extremely common. There's about 3 million or so reports a year in this country and about 600,000 or so validated cases. You mentioned some earlier data and that perhaps Lubbock numbers are going down. I, I think they are. But at the same time, we're still having, a, I think, some residual from COVID. And then it takes a long time for numbers to get reported. And uh, I think COVID was sort of multifactorial that perhaps some, some types of abuse went down, other types went up. Particularly, uh, we saw a lot of just very serious head injuries early on in the epidemic. So, you know, there's, there's just a lot of things going on. There's a lot of ways people can get involved. Right now, we're doing the Casas for Casa, where people can buy raffle tickets for the playhouses or whatever. Consider being a Casa volunteer. You hear horrible things, but, you know, as adults, we go, I don't want to hear that, but children have lived that, and kids need an advocate, so consider being that advocate. Well, thank you very much for coming on our podcast and talking to us about this. Sure. Thank you for listening to Texas Tech Health Check. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Texas Tech Health Check is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and produced by Tier Castillo, Susanna Cisneros, Mark Hendricks, Tyler White, Kay Williams, and me, Melissa Whitfield. Mm-hmm.